0: The Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Roberts Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete and each week on the mindset athlete we like to bring you inspirational athletes a message or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better and on today's show i've got jessica perez she's a coach connector soulpreneur residual income enthusiast biohacker and speaker so welcome onto the show jessica
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited.
0: The pleasure is all mine. Uh, beyond the initial introduction that I've given you, what mm-hmm. additional nugget would you like to give to my, or, or should I say share with my audience?
1: Oh, well, um, this, this conversation is all going to be about supersizing. So I guess I start with I'm a bit four foot 11. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been an athlete my whole life, but I've taken those athlete concepts to, um, just to kind of live life, right. Um, being dedicated, being a good teammate, all of those types of things, um, really have transformed who I am and, and what I do in life from a work perspective too. Um, so I think sport, when you said, I, I love just the name of your, of your podcast, because that's really what we need to be doing in life, not just in sport. Um, to me, it's one and the same, one and the same.
0: And you mentioned obviously your height, Jessica, what kind of adversity did you uh, adversity did you face Obviously, with that being an issue.
1: Yeah, for sure. So so four foot 11, um, I've been this tall since sixth grade and I'm much older than sixth grade age, right? So when you talk about adversity, it's really, um, there's little things that you don't think about. Like you can't get to the top of a cabinet. Like I'd, I'd have to ask for help all the time until I realized, well, you know what? Just go get your own step stool and you can get it too, right? So you begin making transitions to, yeah, so what? I'm a little short. Oh well, shortest one in the class always. Shortest one on every single team I was on, always. To the point where some of my coaches, when they put the uh, the roster out, they'd say she's five two. I was like, why are you telling people I'm five two? Like, who cares? So I didn't have as much of a hang up. Some of the foot surrounded, going like they couldn't believe that. I was that aggressive or that, um, and I say aggressive because in sports, aggression is important, you know, to go get a ball or to, to be actively engaged in the activity, whatever the sport is. I played all team sports. So, um, I think I was more of a surprising little nugget maybe for folks, which the adversity, um, was really more in the mindset I think than actually my height. Like I just did things like everyone else. I didn't care if someone was taller or bigger, but I really had to get my mind in the right space to say, you can do those things. So I think um, the adversity was overcoming some of my own shortcomings, right? The shortcomings, the thoughts of just because you're small means you can't do. In effect, it doesn't matter if you're tall, short. There's a lot of six foot four folks who I could steal a ball from because they didn't have the same super size mentality in their own mind that they, you know, that here I was, was able to, you know, take a, a steal from them, let's say in basketball. Um, because my mind was bigger than theirs at that moment right at that moment so um so yeah i hope that answers your question a little bit
0: but in terms of the the adversity that i thought you were going to mention and and most people resonate what i'm what i'm going to say it's normally it's motivation but what in terms of what i hear and correct me if i'm wrong Mm -hmm. the motivation or the motivation factor should i say was not necessarily that you were smaller than everybody else, but it was the willingness to um, kind of work at your mindset more than other people to get a, yeah. a, a kind of a...
2: Yeah,
1: so, so let me let me frame that. I love that, that lead-in question. I'll frame that. Um, had I not had the environment um, of a, a dad and a mom, I, I was blessed to be able to have both in the same house, my entire, you know, being, being parents to me, um, both in two different areas where they, they helped mold and shape my mind, right. That I can do things bigger and stronger and better maybe than someone else, um, is because of the fact that my dad was an extreme athlete himself, but, um, never made it to the next level. Right. So he, he, he poured into me his knowledge of sports and dedication, loyalty, um he really believes that a good teammate is somebody who's loyal to each other like those are real sound um like characteristics and and character building things that allows the mind to get bigger i believe in the development of a young athlete or a young young person just you know just being a good person and so i believe it's not just about the sport aspect but the 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 development of a person through sport okay, that both my parents helped form. So the adversity piece that you mentioned, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I never felt smaller than because they never allowed me to feel smaller than. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Um, it's that formation there. My mom, she's one. she's a little peanut, but there's not a person that hasn't met her that believes, my God, she has the biggest heart. That woman can just embrace anybody. Like you walk into our home and you feel like, you're her kid. (laughs) She has that um, loving nature, which is a supersizing feeling of love every day. Like we'd walk in the house and um, I was talking about this with you before, you know, um, I come from a Spanish and Cuban culture. And so our culture is very much an embracing, hugging, loving culture anyway. But I had two parents in the home who bred that every single day, which just gives you this sense of I don't want to say power, but like you can do things when you didn't even think that you could. So I think that's where the cultivation of the supersizing thoughts that I have now as an adult that I hope to help share with other folks so that they do can understand. Yes, we, you know, we all have, you go, I can't about this either. You know, I mean, I can't grow tall. Right? I mean, I, this is my space. And so I do think that um, having that as I'm almost like a fertilizer to my ground to be able to grow. Um, was really what what sparked the the true growth of myself throughout my journey, you know? Um, until I was about 25, my dad passed away. But he is still a viable, in my brain, I still think about, okay, dad would do this here. <laughs> dad would say this here. That's the strong, that's how strong his personality was as far as giving roots to who, my, not only myself, but both my sisters feel the same way. Um, he didn't have any sons. He had three girls. So, you know, for him, it was like, how can I raise independent young women? You know, that was his big thoughts. You know, I want you to be able to be strong in your own foundation and who you are. Um, And and coupled that with my mom and her nurturing and her love and all the things, you know, she didn't know sports. She just was like, you're great. Yay. (laughs) She was that kind of cheerleader, you know, Um, which was awesome. So I had, you know, the, the, the dichotomy, but also the, um the collaboration between those two individuals to, to be able to, to, to raise three amazing women um, that are now, you know, both my sisters raising their families the same way, um, which is really kind of cool. So, so yeah, I think that's really where it was um, where it stemmed. Um, It wasn't like I was born this way. It definitely was a cultivation and nurturing um, by our circle. You know, my grandparents were very, very, i mean our family is very tight as a matter of fact tomorrow we're doing a zoom easter celebration <laughs> because we can't be together so all the families getting together via zoom you know and um you know connecting on a on a on a really cool level which i think is important for folks today
0: but you mentioned uh, jessica the, the support network and support that you had growing up but even with that that being said were there cases where you did face adversity
1: Oh, always, always. Um, You know, when we talk about adversity, and and you you've mentioned that term a ton, and and to me, I I look at every opportunity of adversity as a place of growth. I, I don't look at it in an, in a in a way of adversity is going to shift my my thoughts and create a different person. Um, I, I was I, I come from a family where adversity is what leads you to your next space. Um. So yes, have I faced adversity? I've been fired from jobs. I've been told I wasn't the right fit for a job that I thought was my dream job after six months, and the band-aid gets ripped off and you go, Okay, now what? Right? So rugs been pulled out from under me. My father dying at twenty-five was not expected. You know. Um, those are those are adversities to me when you talk about adversity, things that are happening to me, but me myself. I don't look, I look at those as um, circumstances that I happen to have to go through as a part of life's journey. So I look at adversity in a different space, maybe than some folks. And I do believe it's because of the deep foundation that our family has had, that no matter what, we have this, this unit that will help you get through that. You don't have to do it alone. You can do it with a, a group. You can identify who that person is. Sometimes it was my mom that helped me through with something, or sometimes it was my dad. If it was a sporting space, typically I'd rely on my dad. That's his. That's his wheelhouse, right? And I'd be like, Dad, I really want to be the starting whatever, but I'm only, a, you know, in the ninth grade, and everybody else is juniors and seniors. And he's like, Okay, well, you tell me what is the one thing that's missing on your team, and we're going to work on that. And then he'd find that weakness within the team and help me. Decide. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be the best defensive player out there because that was a strength of mine. So I just fought, fought, fought. And as a ninth grader, I did. I ended up in the starting lineup midway through the season as a defensive specialist. As a ninth grader, beating out juniors and seniors to the point where they were looking to me for leadership. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I just know that I'm gonna work hard. So I was working hard as a leader, and they were looking up to me at my work ethic.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And the work ethic was derived from. A goal I wanted to achieve, wasn't sure how to do it, but I was um, coached well enough through my parents, you know, my parents to say, well, when you don't know, you need to ask. And so many people don't do that, right? Oh, I got this. I got it. But do we really have it? (laughs) So I have, I have carried that, that philosophy up. That's a ninth grade story through my entire journey. I mean, I'm 52 now. I still think about that story and I use that in a consistent mechanism. So if I want to get to the next level in a promotion or I want to get to this position or I want to have a deeper relationship with someone, I'm not afraid to go, you know, I'm not sure where we're going with this, but could we just have a conversation? Could maybe we just talk and get to a real space with someone so that then that becomes a real blessing to overcome whatever that adversity may be whether it's a challenge in a relationship or a a death that's occurred in your family. And you're just like, Oh, you know, I can't deal with this. I don't even know how to get out of this hole that I'm in. Um, So I use those principles um, and try to pull them out of my, it's almost like a little toolbox. (laughs) Like that's one, one way to get over an adversity, you know, going back to what that story was. I think we all have them. We just don't know how to tap into them. I think they're inside of all of us to be able to overcome adversities. I really think that we do we've just never explored them or taken the time to take a seat and take a step back and have someone help, help through that adverse moment, but be open to what they might share. Because a lot of times we don't want to (laughs) hear what's coming on the other side, you know? Um, I don't know. Does that, does that kind of tap into where you're, where you're headed or what your thoughts are?
0: I think so because ultimately uh, the notion of, People either when they do come to that fork in the road and, and having to deal with adversity, obviously, you're going to have two different perspectives in terms of some that are going to seek support. Probably the middle ground that some, and I'll include a third part, the ones that are middle ground that are reluctant to, but will seek support because they are struggling. And then finally, the third point, obviously, the ones that don't want.
1: You still there, James?
0: Yeah, Hello. I don't, I don't know what happened there.
2: Did I don't you, know either. <laughs> did
0: you? Did you no. cause it was saying your. Um, and I'll edit this Is it out. mine? It was saying it was it's your.
1: Interesting. But, I mean, I, I have like uh, five little thingies. So I don't know. Maybe it was just like a surge or something, like internet surge or something it's in America. You never know, buddy.
0: <laughs> it's not. Well, normally that's I wouldn't odd. get I wouldn't get It's never
1: happened enough. to me before, so I don't Right. Right.
2: Um, that's weird.
0: In terms of the adversity, obviously you come to a fork in the road, or people do in general. They either kind of fall in terms of the ones that are going to seek support, the middle ground of the ones that are either going to be reluctant to, to, to seek support, but will inevitably do it anyway, because they face uh, an issue that they can't deal with by themselves. And obviously the, the final one uh, where people can see where I'm going with this are mm-hmm. the ones that are reluctant to, and kind of no matter what, going to try and do it by themselves. Yeah.
1: Terms- so, you know, in, in terms of, of those folks, the folks who are, are are closed in a sense and just, you know, I, I, I can't or they have the block, if that's what we want to call it, a block to vulnerability, to opening up to any of those things. I believe the for them, if we can get to a point, um, and, and, and I do coaching on the side as well, right? So one-on-one coaching, team coaching, things like that. But if given an opportunity to be able to, even even on a Zoom like this, right, to simply look at someone in the eye and say, look, I'm here for you. When you're ready, if you ever get ready, <laughs> know that the, 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 the playing field is open for you to share whatever, whenever, and at whatever time you choose, right? Even if it's only a snippet. And allow people to know that there's no judgment zone. A free open zone. Um, it takes a, a special person to be on the receiving end of that too. I mean, not the person who's receiving the information from you, but from me. Let's say is that person who's wanting to help, right? To not push, to not be in a space. where you've got to. You got. You know. You got to open up. You got to let me know. You got to. Hmm, that in itself creates more anxiety and more pushback in an individual. So it really should come from a place of compassion, you know, being compassionate for where that person is and why the blocks are there or the closing up is there. Um, so to me, it's more about really understanding to understand if that makes any sense. I mean, that's kind of a strange term, right? But to understand to understand them, not you, in that space. It's like I become um, a non-existent uh, connection for someone. I just happen to be the vehicle who's asking maybe one or two questions with no real purpose other than to help that person feel completely comfortable to maybe say, you know, I never thought about that, but yeah, there is something that's been bothering me. I don't know if I can share it with you yet, but you know, just know, I appreciate that to me, that in itself is a breakthrough. Like that's a massive breakthrough. And then me has to accept that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. as that person receiving that information go, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Again, whenever you're ready, you're ready and allow it to mature and evolve. For some people like me, I'm a, I'm a pretty open book. I'm just like, Hey, you asked me a question. I I don't know that there's really any off limit questions. Um, I, I I do, a I do, um, an interview thing with folks, um, every other week with another woman, we kind of collaborate and, we we just interview folks on their supersizing journey and what does it look like for them, right? And she and I were talking about questions to ask and to interview folks, and it was interesting. One of her questions, well, we should really ask the the interviewee, you know, if they have any off-limit questions. And it kind of hit me because I was like, Are there off-limit questions? Like I I didn't think of any. And she goes, Well, there are some folks that perhaps would have them. And I said, You know, that's true. I we should kind of ask that. Before we interview someone because maybe we're going down a path that's a little too Especially if I know the person or if she knows them intimately, right? And you know their story You might want that story to be shared But maybe that person's not prepared to share it with the world just yet even though they shared it with you You know, so it was an interesting um an interesting thought process So your your question kind of took me down a rabbit hole of thinking through that um, you're right. There are some folks who don't have The same openness for various reasons with no judgment, with no judgment. I was blessed to be raised in a pretty, here's what you got household, (laughs) but that is not necessarily typical or traditional or unique. It could be considered unique to some. Um, Heck, my mom lives with me and my sister look unique to other folks but to me it's my norm right and it comes very naturally for me to open my doors to family in need who say you know what this is the best situation for us let's just all you know be here together so um so yeah I think I think you're right I think trying to be in a space of allowing folks to to on their terms and their time to be able to be vulnerable and open when and if they want to be um to overcome their own adversities you know you can be a partner in the process, but it really has to be generated by them.
0: Do you think from that, that basis then Jessica, that people are more or less so reluctant to want to face their own adversities because of the, what was the fastest pace of life that we were living up until a few weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I think you're right. I think, um, So I think of what, where we're living right now, it's so funny because, um, one of my best friends, she's taken a little, you know, disconnecting to reconnect space. She's been someone who's on social media, 5,000 friends here, you know, maxed out here. I mean, she's out there, right? Uh, elite runner athlete. You might even want to, um, interview her. I think you, you guys would really connect, but, um, Jess was on a, you know, she was on a, her name is Jessica as well, was on a road to making the Olympic team, right? She's dual citizen, Canada and U S and, um, she had a, you know, adversity. You want to talk about adversity, broke her foot in the Boston marathon during Olympic trials. Boom, career done. She could have kept trying to train for four years later, but she's like, I don't know if I can do that. Like this was my year, you know, that thought process, this was my year. So she's someone who's gone through, like she calls it, broken to bringing it. She's writing a book and things like that. But the reason why I say that is she reached out to me last night and said, you know, um, I've been trying to understand this new norm. This new norm. Like, this is so different because she is an outside person, but she's mm-hmm. actually an introvert by nature. She needs her downtime to because she is such a public figure in a sense, right? So she needs that quiet space. And she's like, you know, this has been actually great for me. Like I've been able to (laughs) recharge and and, and have space for me. But I'm looking at other people and they're just like, it's like not, it's like so much noise out there and they don't know. She goes, I'm like wondering how, how can I help transition these folks into the next space? And I said, you know what? I thought about it and I woke up this morning and I wrote her a message back and I said, I don't know if it's about transitioning as much as it is helping people Understand it's always been there. Like, Zoom has been a platform for I don't know how long, but all of a sudden, people have found it out. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. They found out that, oh, this is a way to communicate. Like, I've been communicating on Zoom for five years, but this is a brand new platform for millions of people, including school systems that are now using this platform just to be able to educate kids you know and so then i think i take it one step further so when you say that about diving in to someone personally what if they're in their home and now they're kind of faced with actually looking in the mirror a little bit more and i mean looking in the mirror like who am i really in the mirror cuz now it's a different space right where you're you're in your own space and you can be in your own head and those moments so i say and i what i shared with her was I don't know so much that it's because we've removed ourselves from physical spaces, right. And being physically close to people, that if we can help people understand the impact of this type of thing, whether it's a podcast or a zoom workshop or, um, shoot happy hour hangouts that people are having now just to hop on and say, Hey, how are you? We had one last night at five, five o'clock here in the Eastern time zone. we had 30 people on and we just hung out and we shared fun stories. And I said, I didn't even know that about you, Gary, you know, those kinds of things. And Oh my goodness, you know, Dr. Joan, we, we had a friend of mine up in Connecticut pop on and she was just sharing her experiences. And, you know, um, I think if we can help people recognize that you don't have to be here, that as soon and as often as you can to do a, a, a personal virtual connection and how to do that well. You and I were talking about this the other day, you know, like I'm looking at you right in the eye, even though this may be on a podcast and just audio goes out, like seeing you virtually on zoom. um, You have a much connected conversation than simply being on a phone. Right. And to use any platforms, whether it's zoom or WhatsApp video or, WeChat, I have folks in China that that I know that I can connect via WeChat virtually too, you know, and knowing what those platforms are. So maybe educating people on how they can stay connected. And, you know, really, what does that mean? That means that they don't have to completely be in their own head. They can be sharing that with someone else. Because to me, the human connection does not necessarily have to mean touch. Human connection can be I mean, it's across miles, you're, you're, you know, in the UK, I'm, I'm here, I'm in the States, I'm as far away as you can really be, you know, so, but yet I feel emotionally connected to you and what you're trying to do. And I'm here as a servant to do that with you, you know, to reach whoever it is that wants to listen. Um, I, I think that's the, the broader piece about where we are as a society and as a whole, as a world going through this pandemic stuff. Um, how can we maintain connectedness? I think people seek it and search it. And we've all been looking for it. I think everybody has, you know, and they try it with this or they try it with a text and yeah, I'm connected and they put the phone down and they just blah, la la But we're kind of forced to be looking at things differently right now. And I think that's not a bad thing. It's kind of, let's be introspective. Tomorrow's Easter. I was raised Catholic. It's a big it's a big um, time in our world having Holy Week this week, okay? Whether you believe in religion or not, for me, it's a it's a vital aspect to who I am. So last night, we, we did virtual mass. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's what I can do to stay connected to my faith, right? And everyone does what they do to stay connected to whatever it is that is their essence. And to me, that's a part of who my essence is. Um, so hopping on this morning was like, is a joy to say, ooh, I get to connect with James again and just share, have a cool conversation. Um, Because I think that's what's going to move our world into a better space where we can breathe again and not be frantic um, thinking about the what ifs. What I do know is connection is real. That's what I know.
0: I know that. Do you think on that point then, Jessica, it's, it's giving a new meaning as you put it as what is true connection versus what was for the majority of, I'll just say use 2020 as the example, be it January to, to March in Europe and, and, and in the Americas. Before that was like you were saying, it was very much uh, people were held at arm's length to some degree. Um, even maybe if I use probably the, the demographic of people that like Snapchat, um, TikTok, you know, like the the, the stuff is very micro-managed, Twitter as well, and be it, it's a split shot. Whereas if you go back to just using the sporty analogy, for argument's sake, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: people 10, 20 years ago would watch four games of no matter what sport, whereas now people are consuming highlights to get a quick fix in terms of this. Yeah. I I knew you were going to say those
1: two words. That was in my head when you said quick fix. I was like, he's going to say quick fix. You're a hundred percent. Right. It is so true. It's almost like, you know, 5,000 friends, 10,000 friends, 20,000 friends, um, a hundred thousand subscribers, followers, whatever. Right who's truly connecting in those spaces. And I i use my friend as an example. She is recognizing the value of this because she too has been a part of that. She's 34, right? Grew up in the in 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 the the social media spaces. I 52, I'll use my age as an example. I have come into social media that was not a part of like how I grew up in my you know 18s 20s you know, early thirties, right? So think about that in that space is that we, when I, when I did something great, it didn't go, you know, my accomplishments weren't spread out all over social media or my, or my challenges, right? I didn't get my mugshot pasted somewhere. It might have been in a paper if something happened to Jessica and who gets the paper these days, right? Mm -hmm. So a different dynamic. So I look at it as, I look at it as an ever evolving, changing world and now we're at a space where she takes step back goes, but who are my real friends? Let's let's have that conversation. Who am I really connected to, and who do I choose to be connected to? Because you can choose, right? Mm-hmm. So, like I've chosen to want to pursue a connection with you because you came highly recommended, if you will, from another good person that I met through social media chip. And he's like, you've got to meet James. Like when he puts his stamp of approval in a sense, it's, it's a, it's um what a cool referral to have when someone shares that about you, right? You've got to meet someone. Um, And I've done that with chip chip. You've got to meet this person. He's like, absolutely. You tell me if that, they, if they're connected to you, I know that I'm going to get something positive from this experience, mm-hmm. whatever it may look like. And, and I think we're, my dad used to do that back in the sixties and seventies when he was, you know, here and working in the environment. It was, that's how we got our car fixed was because someone told us for someone, because that was the guy mechanic you need to go to. He's the man. We didn't go in the newspaper. We didn't look here to see which ad was going to give me 50% off. We went because someone referred them because they were the best out there because mm-hmm. their reputation meant something. So I think about right now, we can be in an awesome space where we are sharing things that we believe wholeheartedly in. And if you definitely have a belief system then I can share with you, hey, I really believe this is the best this. And, I, and you can do your research for sure. But now we have a more connected feeling. So I do think that right now, um, the transient stuff, the sh- the drive-by kind of conversations that people have that don't mean anything. I mean, James, I've, I've gone back through, like, I keep notebooks. i I like to write in notebooks and jot down my ideas. And so I have like notebooks everywhere. <laughs> I'm trying to get more organized with that. Right. But I do, I have one by my bed. I have one here. Um, you know, I just, and so in those spaces I've met so many really cool people. And I'm like, Oh, I got to get back to that person. Like they were awesome. Like I saw them at a networking event or maybe I met them somewhere. Right. And I thought, you know what? I'm in my house now. I, I, I have an online business that I, can, that I can do from here. I'm blessed for that. But I also do speaking engagements that are not happening right now. So how can I fill my time, right? How can I fill my time? And I said, you know what? I made a conscious effort. I went through my notebooks. I jotted down these folks that I kept saying I was going to go. I was going to reconnect with that I never did. And I reached out. And so in the last three weeks, I have reached out to 20 people, you included, okay, that I had said, you really need to stay in touch with this person. One I hadn't seen in 18 months. And she's the one that we're now doing this interview series with. Mm -hmm. Like, how cool is that? Because she's like, I am so glad you reached out to me. Thank you. I thought the same thing and I just never reached out. How many times do we do that where you know you had a really cool, like, moment and then we let the moment go and we just let the moment go. And I believe connection is something right now that we can hold on to and not let those moments pass us, you know, um, as much as we can.
0: But from your personal perspective and, and opinion, Jessica, then why do you think that we have, i use the word loosely evolved into being hmm. ships, uh, two ships passing in the night from be it from a generation Ago, that that wouldn't happen.
2: Yeah, I wish I had this book here, but I'm
1: looking at my books. There's a book that talks about this: the phone, the phone actually taking us away versus bringing us together. Now, think about this: back in about uh, 2000, when social media really started to, you know, lay its footprints. It's been about 20 years okay, where social media started to really kind of, you know, find its footing, MySpace or whatever started, you know, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Facebook, all of that in the next few years. So, um, in that regards, it's also, it's also the, the generations that have come. So it's people my age that have kids or my sister's age, my sister's 59. She'll be 60. Oh wait. Yeah. She'll be 60 this year. Um, it's Folks, her age, her, my nieces are 27 and 31. So they're kind of in that, that range that I'm going to talk about right now. So what happens is my sister, my, my parents were too blue-collar. I'm use our family as an example. Blue-collar people. My dad worked a couple jobs. My mom did too. They put us through private school, which was a huge stretch. I mean, we didn't have money. I used to work at the high school that was private Catholic school. I We used work in the office to offset some of our tuition because they couldn't afford the whole thing, right? So I'm not opposed to understanding. Um, so when someone wants something, my parents wanted us to have that private education. They wanted us to have that as a backbone, but yet they couldn't afford it. and so we were a partner in the process as kids. So I totally get that. So I use that story because our family taught us hard work ethic. We don't have it all, but we're gonna we're gonna get you what you need. Fast forward. When my sister begins having kids, I'll use my older sister as the example, when she starts having kids, now she wants to, you know, she's in a space where she wants to protect her kids and give them whatever she didn't have as a, as a, as a kid, meaning things. Because, you know, we were not poor. We just were, you know, average. You know, you get one or two toys at Christmas and that was about it. Now, both she and my brother-in-law were successful financially. So guess what the kids got stuff. Fast forward a few years later, my brother-in-law passes away when my nieces were eight and 12. Okay. So as her, as their parent, my sister now feels compelled to give even more to make up for a lost parent. It, it's, it's things that happen in everybody's lives, right? So as that's occurring, now she's giving more and giving more and making sure they can go on trips and they can have this and they can have stuff. Parents of them, that generation, I'm going to use her in now in a broader term, but Parents in That Generation There's a really awesome book. I got to remember it. I'll, I'll drop, it, drop it to you. But a um, woman talks about, doc- oh, Dr. Michelle Borba is her name, she's a psychologist. And in her book, she writes about that factor being across the board, maybe not a death in the family, but definitely parents of that generation wanting to give their kids more or things that they didn't have before. Then comes the phone. <laughs> then comes this, you know, the cell phone, the selfie. That's what it's called selfie. It's the selfie era, right? Where people start, hey, it's all about me taking photos of themselves, right? It now becomes a me or gen- me generation because they've been told, let's give you this, let's give you this. It's okay, it's okay, no problem. You got a problem at school, I'll fix it for you. It becomes a fix it kind of generation where now, By virtue of things that have occurred, I'm not saying that it's done on purpose or anyone wants kids to not feel, but as an educator, I've seen the shift. I used to teach phys ed and and, um, coach athletics from 91 all the way through till like 2010, maybe. I think 2010 is when I stopped coaching, like actively coaching in high schools. Now I do like the, the, like I said, the leadership stuff but around 2010, 2012, right in there, um, actually 2012 is when I stopped coaching softball. So I wasn't teaching, but coaching still. And so I saw the shifts as a coach. I saw shifts over 20, 22 years of coaching. Um, the, not necessarily the types of kids, but how the kids were reacting to things and how their parents, different conversations, like, a parent conversation in 91 was different than my parent conversations in 2012 I can tell you right now right and a lot of that was over that type of a shift where this became the norm or I'll just text it to you like I, I, I I've told my nieces if you if you have like sometimes those texts should actually be a conversation you know hey I need to borrow money that's not that's not a text that's a Hey, I'm a little short this month. Let me tell you why. I started, you know what I'm saying. If you really need money, then let's have a conversation now, face to face, maybe here, you know, on a virtual face to face. But you know, those those are the kind of things that I think um, take us into different spaces, especially today, and in the Americas, especially, um, where things mean something to people. And it has just evolved by, I think, just by nature. I don't think it's just any one culture or any one anything. I think it has to do with, it's almost like an ATM society. You know, I got to have it now. So when you said the quick fixes, I see that everywhere. There's no quick fix right now. We don't have a quick fix for COVID. We don't. So the new norm is that we don't have a quick fix. You might as well settle in, figure this out. How can we still connect? how can we still move forward in our 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 work life or business life or whatever um our relationship lives um regardless of what's happening outside of those the four walls that you live in you know i think that's going to be our our growthful moments we're going to grow a lot i'm growing a lot i'm i'm looking at my business model right of me going out as a guest speaker and and talking in front of audiences as being maybe a little precarious and probably not going to happen for a little bit. So how can I still share those character and leadership messages? So one of the organizations that I work with, they're like, that's okay. Let's just perfect the zoom world and let's do some of these via zoom. We're just going to have to change Jessica, how you connect with people. Um, you know, leaning in to get their, their, you know what I'm saying? And just, I'm finding ways to be able to connect using the skill sets that I have in hand. You know, I can't walk by someone and put a hand on a shoulder and say, come on in here and let me tell you how this is going to work in a group setting. I, 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 we don't have group settings right now. So how can I engage that same um, vulnerability and openness when I'm sharing information with people on a Zoom? I'm just learning some new techniques to be able to do that a little bit better. So I hope that kind of helps your thoughts there.
0: So if we go a step further than that, and obviously with, with the U S obviously from an academic standpoint, be it everywhere, mm-hmm. probably in the world is shut shutish schools now, but be it yeah. from a adversity standpoint, because I, the person I spoke to uh, on episode, what would it be? One, one nine, one hundred ninety nine who is a teacher himself was saying, obviously the seniors were very much,
2: mm-hmm. uh, and it's
0: also in another episode I spoke with um, by the doctor, uh, Connolly this week as well on similarly that obviously people are in week one or when it is leading into schools, possibly shutting down mm-hmm. people are up and up and joy and, and, and kind of joyful. What do you think for those particular children? Mm -hmm. What are they going to obviously endure or have to adapt or master to deal with, quote unquote, a generation that's been given a? I'm going to use loosely a free path educationally because ultimately they're not able to sit exams or final exams. Yeah. Some may not be able to graduate. So it's technically where you've not really fully experienced the last years of your,
2: mm-hmm.
0: In some, for some, maybe their educational lives. Obviously for some, it's only the beginning, but for them, what are they going to have to endure Or have to repeatedly come across when they speak to be it the next generation, the generation previously. Well, you really, you didn't really have to endure anything. You got a, you kind of got a what word would I want to use? A gimme in terms of well, we couldn't, we couldn't test you or test you in a fair, fair enough way. Historically, being Mm -hmm. so, we got to give it on merit. Obviously, the people that uh, Mm -hmm. are going to probably suffer a little bit are the ones who are not very practical minded in terms of, well, you'll bet if we use phys ed as the example in the UK, (laughs) there's a practical element and there's also the the theory. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not very good at the sport. Mm -hmm. That's now your grade, or okay. There's mock, there's uh, mock testing as well, which will come into play, Mm -hmm. but they're weighted equally. So somebody like me, like we mentioned yesterday, as Mm -hmm. we were talking, I did the opposite. I was very, very Mm -hmm. tactically, I'll go on on a whim. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be self-centered a little bit for once (laughs) because I don't do it enough. Uh, Technically gifted. So I would yeah. flourish there, and then my family historically—I would say crumbled under the pressure of an exam setting, but not dealt with it very well. So mine would be—I would probably benefit, on people like me who are better on that side of the on the mm-hmm. fence will probably yeah. benefit as a result of not having to. So if people turn around oh, next year, I'm not happy with my grade. People like me and going you give me that on merit fine i'm gonna walk away i'm happy obviously the ones that there's going to be obviously outliers in both cases people are going to be questioning what i think i could have done better i don't know what they'll do mm-hmm. if you did then sit that physical exam and then did worse right what would you do because ultimately they might say well that's the grade new now have to take because you you, <laughs> you were adamant that you uh Wanted to do it again, so I, I I don't know I don't know what position they're going to have to take. I know speaking to people in the tertiary tertiary level, like college and universities, they're doing it as online platforms. So uh, yep. he was saying to me that expanding the the exam period for twenty four hours. Okay, that's people are going to cheat then because it's like yeah, you've got nobody uh, walking down the aisles making sure you're not cheating uh and i think his university was saying we expect high marks well people are going to point fingers at that it's like well you only got you only got a high mark based on and i will generalize because some people probably get it on merit because they they were studious
2: mm-hmm.
0: you only got this high mark because you, che- you you potentially i'm not going to say people are cheaters but you had the potential to be able mm-hmm. to open google leave your notes out in front of you while you're doing the exam. So, so so it's like, well, I could argue for even when I went to university, technically, if you studied past papers and you could call it laziness on the invigilating part in terms of what you could set a paper, completely different paper, but you can virtually, if you do the the statistics, you could gauge, well, If you got to do, I don't know, I think it's three, four essay questions in an example, for my my degree, two or three, two questions of, there would be a trend in terms of, well, this year this has come up, this year this hasn't, and there'd be an outlier of a question, well, this is definitely going to come up, and you'd revise that one, so be it, that's technically laziness in terms of, I'm not studying the syllabus completely. And I know most people would not be able to do that. It could be too difficult. That's technically cheating and taking shortcuts. It's like, well, I'm going to study these because they may come up. And you're taught that as well in university. It's like, these may come up or we have an inkling that study this versus that and you'll do it. And virtually, um, I think, in terms of, from a theoretical standpoint, university, you're just regurgit. You, you at the lower levels, you just regurgitate regurg- the information that you're taught. So you're not really <clears throat> having that knowledge deep ingrained. In- but some of it will stick. But right, the majority, right. of, or, or if I use my, and I'm I'm quite happy to throw myself under the bus with this. My first exam would be okay because it'd be fresh. the the ones there are then there and after would be very difficult because I would do what one exam bang pick up the next one and you can't do that so because you you don't have the the capacity to 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 extent learn Mm -hmm. the next next part of the um say modules for example like a a component within that 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 that, um degree that you're doing because Mm
2: -hmm
0: you'll put more importance on the first one and then the others will suffer. And that's probably why my exam status has struggled because it's like, well, I'm focusing on one and I should mm-hmm. expand because the mind can do it. It's just, you've got to treat it like a muscle and, and to right. see that push its buttons to kind of, well, if I learn as much as I can mm-hmm. subconsciously or stick, you just got to okay. keep repeating it. Like, over and over again, um, and it's something that i've I've, I've re uh, introduced myself back to spanish to to give me oh. something different to do, and I haven't done Spanish since high school, and people wouldn't know that, so it's right. putting an app in place as to okay you're not really testing me because most of that I know, <laughs> but you're regurgitating it in terms of well, this is what I want you to translate from English to Spanish, vice versa. And I think for me, I think it is a Castilian one. And I learned um, Mexican Spanish, so some of the words, like what, well, yeah. I'm sure I wouldn't use that word, or I wasn't <laughs> taught that word. So it's difficult. It's like, well, I don't recognise this word. So, right, so right. to me, it's not. It's, that's not like the right one. But I think from the learning basis, obviously, you're mm-hmm. you're, you're doing that mode of repetition. You know, the hundred hour hundred thousand hours that I can't remember what doctor it was and and somebody has disputed that's not technically true in terms of sporting sense. You are able to then acquire a skill. And I think because some people are not willing to test their boundaries and try something new, obviously for me, Spanish, I haven't spoken for probably over 10 years. But mm. it's obviously still there subconsciously because, mm. like, well, this, 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 this is what it is. Obviously, some of it's like really basic, but and that's why I was like, well, I'm not starting from scratch. And the willingness to to, to try to communicate because,
2: mm-hmm. for
0: my business, I'll have South Americans or Latinos, or Latinos, obviously, it's like easy because they can speak English as well. I can't have a com-, com. If your English isn't good enough, I can't have a conversation because it's like business-wise, they wouldn't know where to go with it. Whereas right, with right. my upbringing, with living in Belgium, my French I could probably do it. Especially speaking, maybe the the written translation um, communication that you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. would struggle. But being able to have an importance on this shift to coming back to this and the visual. I can mm-hmm. have a conversation with somebody and and gr- grammar doesn't even come into it. Mm-hmm. How somebody speaks right.
2: is
0: right. not important, and I think i obviously we're working in an education setting as well. I think that shift from the appreciation for language or what it can do to give you a, a step up, i think for mm-hmm. some, if not a majority i'm not gonna I'm not going to say the majority. I'm saying that some some of those are in a min- minority based on where they are. They've lost sight of that in terms of, well, why do I need to learn this? I don't. I'm never going to utilize it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm thinking, well, that's very short-sighted in terms of this connects connectivity that you have to the outside world. That if you are mm-hmm. able to speak a plethora of languages, I'm not mm-hmm. saying you're going to be able to get work, but it does obviously give you mm-hmm. a a uh I'll use your words It supersize on somebody else because you have a skill set that they don't have so I think from that basis it's mm-hmm. disheartening to kind of to kind of see the kind of say turn to you well what's the purpose of it Well, mm-hmm. why do I need it? obviously they learn it probably too late at the age of 11 it's over you're already starting to set get set mm-hmm. in your ways whereas I was thrust in in the environment that my mom wanted me to learn another language. And I started at three, three, four, five years old. So if for me, mm. people are very um, interested. To, well, how, how are you able to speak with no accent? Well, it was almost as, yes, it's my second and third language. Well, Spanish would be, I did it towards the end of high school, but right. it wasn't a difficult addition to put on right. French because the Latin root is there. So mm-hmm. could kind of go from one to the other and same with, um, uh, my best friend from high school, he did something similar. His Spanish was slightly better than mine, whether or not it is to this day same. now. I probably, it probably still is, but I think this it's a lost, uh, and I think us coming back to obviously refining ourselves, we can mm-hmm. test those boundaries. It's like, obviously some people won't, but cause they'll, mm-hmm. they'll be, well, Coming back to my point that I said, the, the week one, they'd be happy. Week two, mm, don't like this situation. Week three, mm, really don't like this situation. And I think maybe week four, they might be all right. And some obviously won't be, and they'll be still cl- climbing the walls. Mm-hmm. This gives them an opportunity to kind of, well, reassess, reevaluate the priorities mm-hmm. in life. I, I, I had the willingness, well, okay, let me, let me reacquaint myself with a skill set that i yep i would say i have i wouldn't say it's, I, I perfected the language but mm-hmm. let's let's try and reestablish mm-hmm. this notion obviously from a hearing perspective i can understand it, that i never lost that but let's see if i can remember how to communicate in, in, in another language and that was very frustrating with french because it was i'd gone from and sp- probably Spanish to some degree, would be in a school speaking it on a daily basis. To then to, yeah. to to go into its non-existent, and your only form of communication is English. So for me, it has it been has frustrating been. to kind of speak to people, uh, and they kind of say they're c- very a- accommodating of that. To kind mm-hmm. of say, well, people you grew up with their English is good. So it's like, well, James, like I, I I get the point that you're trying to make. And then you can fill in a word with English and that, they would make sense of it. But I think to be able to go that step further to reimmerse yourself with something that's challenging, I think this is probably going to be, you talked about growth in terms of it's your mm-hmm. way of probably attaining something that you, you you wanted to try, be it, I don't know, learning German, learning something mm-hmm. that's where, yeah. I don't know, be, for example, I don't know, Chinese to mm-hmm. make something really challenging or I don't know, picking up a, a hobby you haven't done for years and, mm-hmm. and actually challenging yourself. So kind of, well, I want to really test myself uh, in these times, obviously for an athlete, that's not very difficult. It's, it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: seen as an uncontrollable or should I say control? It should be the other way around. It's seen as a controller because it's a choice that you've made to go down that yes. road. But in terms of, well, being selected on a team and, and vice versa, making up the, you're not in control. Be it, be other, you've got other players that obviously are not going to give you a free pass.
2: Mm-hmm. Coaches
0: <laughs> are not going to give you a free pass mm-hmm. and your opponent is never going to. So you're never really t- totally in, into control. And if you reflect on that, I think mm-hmm. you're coming back to what Ver, Ver, Fergus said you're in a better position as an athlete to be able to contemplate this position. I would disagree to some extent because I, I, he did say there are outliers and I I think I'm an outlier because yes, I was in control of, to a certain extent, my destiny in sport, but then with this, I struggle. But, and I think I'm not alone in, in, in that sentiment of, mm-hmm. we are kind of a community in that sense of dealing this. We're all in the same boat as, well you can you can dwell on it, you can grow with it, but it's still an uncertainty as how long is it gonna last
2: mm-hmm.
0: ultimately, there probably will be a cure, but it's it's how long um that's gonna take, and ultimately obviously, there's gonna be there's gonna be a sacrifice that people mm-hmm. are gonna lose their life, so it's like well yeah it's it's trying to challenge this mis- this inf- misinformation that's out there and kind of say, well, is that genuine? Um I've kind of gone complete other way completely. It's like, well, I don't want to hear too much about it anyway. It's, it's, it's out of my control because it's outside. Right. It can stay outside and I'll control uh what I can control inside the house, not necessarily stay in the house, but be, can to follow the, Uh, the government guidelines and all that and then I'm in control even though we never really are so I think that one is 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 obviously coming to my point and I was not waffling on too much I think people need to put things in perspective it's like with a lot of things we're not in control uh my own coach said to me he put them like figurative statistics into perspective it's like it's not a I'm not, I don't want to use this word lightly. It's not a big deal versus other illnesses uh, being knocked down in the street and things like that. But obviously um, I'm not saying for somebody that's either dealing with it, family members dealt with it, or have you've sure. had a bereavement. I'm not saying your sacrifice is not warranted, obviously for if you are having to deal with that situation it's an unfortunate situation, but we're not immortal. Or should I say mm-hmm. not? Yeah, obviously for the people <laughs> I yet. think we've got lots yeah, and lots right. of money, yeah. that's a possibility. But for the majority of people, sure. we're not we're not robots. We're not gonna be on the earth for hundreds, thousands of years. And I think mm-hmm. if you put it from that basis of you know, um uh fiction of you know like vampires things like that right right that's obviously a detriment because they, they see their family members come and go it's like well that's you mm-hmm. you, you see that would probably be as a as a human being mm-hmm. that would probably eat away at you as a human being you kind of seeing your loved ones perish uh, and next generation up come and come and right. go it's like well that would that would probably destroy the majority and I'm trying I'll end with that in terms of the morbid, morbidity of that but I think we do need to put things in perspective of we can play the victim or we can play uh, as my coach said be a hero within our story and I think most people yeah. would rather, if you want to be the positive you'd rather be I don't know Hercules Achilles you want to be right. the hero within that story that people talk about you don't want to be the one mm-hmm. that um, dies in the, in the beginning of a movie. Of a, of a, obviously, that person's remembered, but it's for yeah. a reason. And, and look at it from the positives.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, you started that that conversation and you brought up education and you brought up seniors. And immediately, I think um, my nephew's a senior. Um, so so he'll be graduating um, this this year in May with whatever, whether it's a diploma in hand or it's a, something that certificate they send him on the computer. I'm not sure how that's going to look, but i um, blessed and fortunate that he's already been accepted into university. Um, so, so we know his path, right. But for those that don't, and I think about those kids, like Jason is a kid who no matter what is going to happen, he's a kid that rises to the top. You know, there's just some kids who are like that, like sure. I got, and he really does have it. Like, My sister hasn't helped him with any homework probably since he was four. He's just, he's one of those kids. He's, his brain works in a different way, but he's also musically gifted and talented. The things that he's um, not upset, but just kind of disappointed and not being able to do is he loves to perform for people like he does. He's a drama, theater, musically gifted individual. And he was supposed to be the lead in this play in the spring. It's not happening right? It's not happening. He and another senior, they had two seniors, they're leading parts and he had never had a leading part with this particular girl. And they're just good friends. They're like been good friends from, I mean, I think preschool, they went to the same preschool in the same elementary then, you know, there's just like, she's a good girl, Mm -hmm. not girlfriend, but girlfriend to him. Like they're just, they're they're good people. And he's like, you know, that's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss performing with Catherine. Like just like, that's, he wasn't talking about prom. He wasn't talking about all these rites of passage things. He wasn't even talking about graduation and walking across the stage. Like he was going to miss that experience. And I thought, what a, what a solid young man, number one, <laughs> that understands the power that, that he has been able to create and build as someone who can emote some really cool stuff on a stage, mm-hmm. right? So that's what he misses. And he misses doing it with her specifically in that crew that had spent so much time preparing for it and all that kind of stuff. On the back end of that, he has four, what we call AP classes here. They're like the the highest level AP classes. And he said, "Whoa, man, my days are different. He says, you know, when you have four AP classes, you're in school and you're in class and the teacher's kind of walking you through it so that you get it.
2: Mm like."
1: High level conversations, high level calculus and AP literature. And, and he says, Now I'm getting two and three assignments on a computer, and I got to f- figure out which one is more important. Like what he's learning outside of this experience of being in a classroom where it's very structured, he's having to learn structure <laughs> and kind of like a rip the band aid off kind of time. Like he wasn't expecting that, you know? He had structure in his day. He knew he went, you know, at eight o'clock this nine o'clock to that class but and he knew those were his pockets of time to focus in and dial in and whatever was being taught right Mm -hmm. and to keep your brain focused in that space um where now like for two weeks he was kind of like i feel overwhelmed i'm not sure what to start first what what do i do first you know he has an online spanish class you mentioned spanish um that's his language that he's taking in um, and he actually received a Hispanic scholarship to the college he's going to, because he's done so great in just, you know, the conversational spaces and he doesn't speak Spanish. Like we didn't, he wasn't, even though we're Spanish, it was not a second language in his home. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's really embraced the language. And he and my mom have really, cause my mom speaks Spanish fluently. So the two of them, grandmother and grandson have been able to connect on, <laughs> a school level. How cool is that? He calls her and asks her for help with Spanish homework. And now this intergenerational, because he would normally ask his teacher, but now he calls my mom. And so now, like what a cool thing to think of an 18 year old kid reconnecting with an 83 year old grandmother simply because of what's happening on that level. Right. That's a beautiful thing. That's coming out of this that I could sit here and go, well, it's, you know, it's this, or it's forcing this, or he can't have graduation, or he's just like all the other seniors across the world, right, that are having to learn different. But in the same breath, I talked to him and I said, Jason, how do you feel about this? Like, tell me how you feel. And he said, you know, to be honest, I was going to have to learn some of these skills anyway, when I went off to college, like, I feel like I'm kind of getting a head start. Like, when he took two weeks to kind of just let it process and kind of go like everybody else in the world was trying to do, like, what does this even mean? I don't understand what's happening at 18 years old. Okay. Just like 50 year olds are doing the same thing. (laughs) You know, 40 year olds are doing the same thing. He was like, I'm actually, so he, he went out, he, he, he ordered on Amazon. He ordered himself a cool planner that's helping him get on task. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to block out my day. So I gave him some strategies. I said, listen, Jason, normally you go to school and they have your day planned. Guess what? You got to plan your day. I I don't care how you do it. If you want to do days like, you know what? Monday is going to be my calculus and and literature day. And just just spend it on two, two," because I got to be honest, he he was so far ahead in the classes that really what he needs to do is practice for the practicum, if you will, the tests. He'll be okay. It's the kids that you were talking about that aren't at that space that I'm hoping that there's still strategies out there and people are still connecting to those kids that are the, I don't want to say just the average kid, but the kid who struggles and needs the more one-on-one in order to be able to finish and complete assignments that people are paying attention to that too. Not only was I a coach, but I also was a teacher and I worked in a school for, um, for learning challenges for special, special needs kids. Right. I I did that for five years. And I think about what happens when they went online. Like I haven't been there and I don't know how long, but I think about that school and how are they managing those expectations with children who learn different, Mm -hmm. who, yeah, they, they love technology. I can tell you a lot of kids love technology, but are they getting the resources that they really need to be successful? (laughs) like you said, what's out there and what they need for their graduation or what they need for the next grade or what they need for, you know what I mean? And I think that's where for a kid like Jason, he's going to be six. And I think the kids like him, you know, that have that maybe have that have a pretty good home life that have a, you know, that have a a laptop that they can actually hop on and do work. What about the kids that don't even have the technology to do it? (laughs) What about those kids? You know, and the school systems in the states are are trying. They're they're driving around and dropping off laptops to people. They're trying to get iPads in people's hands. They're trying to get them the, the resources. But I also know that I've got a, a teacher friend in San Antonio, and we were just talking about this via Zoom the other day when I connected with him. Um, he said, "You know, I'm I'm an educator, so is my wife. They're working on their doctorates because we have 100,000 students in San Antonio, Texas." And of those, only 25,000 had appropriate devices to run the systems that they wanted to run, you know, using Zoom or whatever their platform. I don't think they're using Zoom. They're using a different educational platform because there's several out there. But regardless, only 25,000 of those 100. He goes, and Jessica, we've been out since whatever he told me, March 15th or I think it was the 15th or 16th, whatever that date was. He says, and I've only been able to reach 50% of my students by phone. He goes, I, I work in a challenging district, meaning kids that may only have one parent at home, kids that maybe live with their grandparents, kids that maybe are living on their own. We're not really sure, you know. He said, so for me to say that I've only reached 50%. We have some challenges to work out. We've never even thought about this. Who has? Who thought the educational system would be shut down? Like, that was never a planned thought. Um, I thought about that just last night. I said, you know, I haven't driven my car since March 14th, and I kind of got to make sure it starts and the battery's not dead. Never thought about it. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm just going to take a drive around the block. So I just hop in the car. I headed out one way. Just to drive around the block to just make sure the engine light. When I turned my AC on, honestly, it took about three minutes for it to cool down. It ran hot air for a bit because it hasn't been run. Like little things like that. I thought about that. My dad would always tell me, hey, can't leave the car sitting too much. You got to make sure you run it. And all of a sudden it hit me last night. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go around the block. No big deal. So as I went down one block to turn, all this new construction on the roads had happened I've been in my house for you know four weeks almost. <laughs> I don't even know like there is activity happening, right? Um, and I thought, well, that's interesting. you know it just kind of makes you take a step back and go, I've been so focused on being as positive I can be within my little, my little home that I control. You talked about controllables. Here's what I control. my attitude. When I wake up, when I go to sleep, what I put in my brain, I can choose to scroll on social media and just get inundated with junk. Or if I'm going to go to social media, I go with a purpose and an intention. I go to social media to connect with people that I want to connect with. You being one chip being another uh, will that I just mentioned that I just talked to Jenny that I just started that thing. You know, I go to my social media outlets to either put out a positive message, right? Or put out a, you know, uh, something to provoke um, a conversation, just a healthy, robust, vulnerable conversation. I don't go to social media to get a rise out of folks or to create this dramatic conversation. That's not what, to me, that's just my, my version of what I choose to use it for. And I educate the nieces and the nephews, the ones that I think I have a little more, um, I don't want to say pressure, but a little more um, connection to for them to go, you know, I respect where you're coming from. They call me Ja. I respect where you're coming from. Ja. I, I get that. So if you're going to post guys, I just want you to be cognizant of what, what that can mean to folks who are viewing it, right? It's like your brand. It's your person. It's who you are. And when you go to my feed, you're going to find that I'm pretty much what you see is what you get. I love sports. I love kids. I love, um, being in an in an area and and having a true mission about biohacking. I love biohacking. We haven't even talked about that nutrigenomics. I love to educate people on a natural way of health, especially today, and how that natural thought process can can carry over in anything that you do, you know? So I look at I look at the opportunities we have and I look at it more as an opportunity versus an adversity. Going back to what we talked about earlier. Where we sit today could be viewed as an as an adverse space or can be used as a positive platform to say, okay, let me look in the mirror and how can I come out of this adversity in a real positively growthful experience to say, I did like you said, learn a skill or I did like, I hadn't dusted off my mic until you asked me. I haven't used my, my mic that I plugged into my computer in probably, I don't know, 10 months. Why is that? Why is that, right? So when you said you have a mic, I was like, yes, I have a mic. It's in my drawer that's been tucked away. Why? I don't know. You know, things like that. Like we have so many things and experiences that we just, they may have been great, but it happens once and then we just like throw it away. And I'm like, why don't we just continue to nurture it and and pour a little more water to it so it can flourish and flower and bloom. and, And we're in spring right now, so I'm all about blooming. You know, what better time for this to occur where I can now feel we're in some new spaces, right? There will be a new norm. We don't know what it looks like, but the controlling of the controllables are things that I know I can control. My attitude, how I respond and react to, to social media, how I respond and react to, you know, my mom and my sister in the other room. How do I, that's what I control. You know, my being, my thoughts, my and if I can impart those and share those with others that maybe can unlock what's been kind of dormant for someone else, you know what? You're right. I I haven't done a skill yet. My mom just said that the other day. She says, you know what? I really want to start painting again. I never knew that my mom used to paint. I was a kid. Do you think I knew what her hobby was? <laughs> I was doing me. And I said, that's awesome, mom. So she, she went back in and I guess in the shed she had, we have a, like an outdoor shed. She had some painting supplies and she pulled them out. I was like, that's awesome. You know, well, you can tap into something that sparks joy in your life, whatever that may be. You know, adult coloring books. I don't care. Something simple, a crossword puzzle, you know, things that you go, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. I love the fact that you said you're diving into Spanish and you know, that's a skill that you, why not? My sister has been cooking gourmet cook. Like every time I'm like, what are we cooking today? Like I come out of my room and she's got, you know, so she's exploring her cooking. Great. We have all kinds of supplies in the kitchen cabinet that we've never used. I don't know why it's just sitting there. You know, I said, so why not? She's like, you know, I think I'm going to try to make um, cauliflower pizza with blah, 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 blah. I was like, great. Because we're, my mom, gluten doesn't always sit well with her. So she's trying to make cauliflower crust and we're going to practice. And that's what she wants to do today. I was like, great. So that's the later, that's the afternoon thing we're going to do together as a family. Like, I think it can drive people together in a positive way. If, if we're open to that versus just come in your room, shut the door and I'm just going to be in my space, you know? Um, So yeah, so I, I love where you're going with that. And And I look at my nephew as he's my little, um, (laughs) my little example, you know, um, I've got a 21 year old niece who college now is just like you said, online. And that's a struggle for her because she's a, she's an in the person kind of kid. And so, you know, Jason, the 18 year old is helping the 21 year old along that journey, which up until that point, it's like, you know, oh yeah, you're my brother, you know, you're my sister, you know, and they, They go off and they do their own things. Well, now they're forced in a sense to be in this space and they can perhaps come out of this with a better relationship than they had before mm-hmm. because they're relying on each other for different things. For different things. She's like a YouTuber, she could YouTube and she's told me all about ring lighting and how you do this and how you do that. And I'm on, I don't even know half of what she talks about from a techie standpoint. And he adds value to her from. On the musical spaces that he's like, hey, how about I create a a new arrangement for you and I give you some music so that you can add to your YouTube? And she's like, Oh, cool, thanks. So he goes and arranges music and he shut so now they're like collaborating. When before they were just in their rooms doing their own thing. My sister's like, It's been kind of a musically interesting space that we're in right now. You know what I'm saying? That they're that they're collaborating on different efforts. And I thought, that's awesome. What a beautiful thing to come out of craziness. Um, is a brother and sister actually finding each other other and thinking, you know, we can be friends. You know, we were friends when we were little, then they grow up and they go, you know, middle school and high school happens. And, you know, you're my baby brother. And now he's teaching her some things as the baby brother and the big sister's teaching him some things too. So it's been kind of cool listening to my sister share some of their experiences,
2: which is awesome.
0: So my, For my final question to you, Jessica, before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? It's
2: loaded. Okay. It is loaded.
1: Here's what the one sentence is to, to, to take away today was all about just having a supersizing conversation that has been my thing forever, but it can be yours too. If you are open to the opportunity of turning adversity into a growthful experience, it can help you unlock everything that's deep inside of yourself in a supersizing space, that's it it's just it's about opening up it's about looking in the mirror it, it really is and and taking the opportunities to do that supersizing just means exactly what it sounds like supersizing your in your inside your the depths of your soul and how i can take each individual little piece of that and just blow it up in different aspects um yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to explore more of me <laughs> in this journey. You know what I mean? And help others explore more of themselves. Um, so connecting with you is really, it's really kind of opened up some things. I'm, I've, I've got my notebook here. Cause when we finish, I'm downloading some of the things that you shared with me. This is not your one sentence. This is just, so you know what I'm taking away from our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like every Every meetup, every conversation, every opportunity that you have to be in front of someone to share experiences um, should be a growthful learning experience for me, you know, and for you. So, um, so yeah, my notebook's going to get filled with some notes <laughs> that I'm going to take from what you shared today because you've really enlightened me and I really appreciate that.
0: Oh, for sure. It's my pleasure. And thanks again for coming on the Minds Athlete Podcast. You're welcome. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Jessica and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging me over on Instagram at jamesoroberts11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And in addition, if you had any further questions for Jessica or myself, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started this Facebook group, especially for this podcast, which you can find by typing The Mindset Athlete. And last but not least, one for the amputees listening to this podcast, I've recently created a Facebook group called The Amputee Coach, fitness and nutrition for amputees to help you lose 10 to 30 pounds. So make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.libson.com under the category General. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.